Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. is an intellectual factor. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's one of our intellectual factors. Our intellectual factors in the intellect itself also separate us from the other little animals in the kingdom. Uh, They're conscious faculties. It's not that a squirrel doesn't have the ability to focus somewhat. It doesn't know that it has the ability to focus. So it's only doing it until something else distracts it, but it doesn't know that it's doing it. Human beings know that they're doing it. We can strengthen it. Um, but I think that it's, I think it's quite important to understand how, how much focus is necessary uh, to make the changes that you want. So let's get into this. He says, instead about getting rich in a scientific way, you do not try to apply your willpower to anything outside of yourself. So it's like he's making this big, bold statement right off the bat. Um, if I sit and think about why he's writing that, my assumption is that in his own study, in his own observation, people are constantly trying to change outside circumstances. They're trying to change what other people think, do, the way they believe, the way they behave, whether they do something or they don't do something. And it's kind of an indication that a person, uh, whether they're conscious of it or not, I'm, I'm not sure. I think you'd have to ask the individual. But really, it's kind of an indication that the person believes that what they desire is really in somebody else's hands. Why else would you try to change everything else but you if it was, if it was in your hands, if you had the power to do it? So it's a, it's a misperception that the thing that you want is elsewhere. It's outside of you. It's somewhere else. And then he goes on to say that you don't have a right, any right to do so anyway. It's wrong to apply your will to other men and women in order to get them to do what you wish to be done. So when you hear this, ask yourself a question and just be honest with yourself about it. When you're doing sales or when you need things done, do you do, you do this? Do you try to get other people to do what you want to do because that's what you want? or is your intention to try to influence people to do what they want to do. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And especially when you're coming from from sales, when you're coming from business, because if you don't have a belief that there's enough out there, you're going to try to manipulate people to your agenda. If you come from lack thinking, I don't have enough, I don't have enough money, I don't know if I'm going to make my bills this month, you know, whatever, you're going to think that, you're going to come to the conclusion that you have to manipulate people. You try to get them to bend to your reasons for doing something. And your reasons for doing something is not important. Not important. It's flagrantly wrong to coerce people by mental power and just as it is to coerce them by physical power. If compelling, if compelling by physical force to do things for you reduces them to slavery, compelling them by mental means accomplishes exactly the same thing. The only difference is in the methods. If taking things from people by physical force is robbery, then taking things by mental force is also robbery. 
So if you remember, I don't exactly remember when I mentioned this. I talked about four questions that you can apply to basically anything to make a decision. And it was, is this something you want to be, do, or have? Is being, doing, or having this going to take you closer to your goal? Is being, doing, or having this in harmony with God's laws or the laws of the universe? And the fourth question is, is being, doing, is being, doing, or having this going to violate the rights of others? This is violating the rights of others, what he's talking about right here. My mental force is violating the rights of others. In other words, it's, at some point, you're taking away their choice consciously or unconsciously. In principle, there's no difference. And you have no right to use your willpower on another person, even if it's for their own good, for all you helpers out there. They can't resist helping people. And you have to constantly push, you know, your agenda and be the helper. You have to, you know, person, if, if a person is, if that is your personality, you have to rein that in and realize, you know, you can offer help or you can wait for somebody to ask help, but you should not constantly be pushing your help onto other people. The science of getting rich does not require you to apply power or force to any other person in any way whatsoever. So I think that there's a lot of teaching out there at least there has been since I've been in business, uh, especially when it comes to marketing, marketing tactics, different kinds of advertising tactics. You always have to ask yourself, what side of influence are you on? Are you stepping into manipulation or are you, are you influencing? And after you do it for a little bit, you know, you, you know the difference. You really know the difference. You know, is there an honesty there? Or is there not an honesty there? That type of thing. Um, he says, indeed, there's not the slightest necessity for doing so. Indeed, any attempt to use your will upon others will only tend to defeat your purpose. Now, why is that? Why will it tend to defeat your purpose? Because it's the energy behind what you're doing. If you think, really think about this, and you have to look at, you have to spend time looking at your individual motives for different things as you go through life, you know, as you go through your days and your weeks and your months, it's really taking a look at, okay, why am I doing this? Why do I feel that way? Why am I interacting this way? Why does this thing piss me off or that thing piss me off? Um, why, do, uh, why do I get upset with this person or that person or this situation or that situation? Because when you get down to finding out that many of the things, many of the reactions that you have come from fear, you can start to, you know, slowly change them one at a time as you become aware of them. The fear that would be behind any kind of mental coercion of another person, if you put it, if, it, if that fear is back of the idea that you want, the image that you're holding in your mind, what do you think it's going to bring you the equivalent of? It's going to be more and more, here's how you'll see it if you're in business. It's more and more people saying no. It's more and more people asking for refunds. It's more and more people complaining about your business, your service, you as a person. You know, it's, it's showing up as consistent problems, and it's not just uh, system problems. We all have system problems from time to time. Like, okay, there's a breakdown in the system. That's not working. We can fix that. But when you start having multiple problems that kind of all have the same flair to it, you have to ask yourself, what kind of person are you attracting? You know, if you come from lack, it's going to mirror back to you lack. 
And you'll think to yourself, why don't they appreciate what we're doing? How come they don't like our product or service? Because you attracted them with your own lack for what you expect to happen in your business and your life. He says, you do not need to apply your will to things for them to come to you. That would simply be trying to coerce God and would be foolish and useless as well as irreverent. In other words, you can't coerce God in any way. Like people that drop to their knees and beg and plead to God, like it doesn't, it doesn't move anything. It doesn't move anything. It's not coming from a point of your own power. It's coming from weakness. Then the next sentence, I think, kind of sums it up there. He says, you do not have to compel God to give you good things any more than you have to use your willpower to make the sunrise. You do not have to use your willpower to conquer an unfriendly deity or to make stubborn and rebellious forces do your bidding. The thinking substance is friendly to you. And the more anxious, it, we read this again, the thinking substance is friendly to you and is more anxious to give you what you want than you are to get it. That's probably one of the top five lines in the damn book. The, the thinking substance is friendly to you and is more anxious to give you what you want than you are to get it. You just have to ask yourself, do you believe it? Do you believe that? Can you live that in your life? To really think. To get rich, you need only to use your willpower upon yourself. That's it. When you know what to think and do, you must use your will to compel yourself to think and to do right things. That is legitimate use of the will in getting what you want. To use it in holding yourself to the right course, use your will to keep yourself thinking and acting in the certain way. And I mentioned intentionally and casually along the way different people that are known for really their elite mind and the, and the way that they have the ability to apply that in their life. It was all a choice. It was all a choice. They did that because they, they wanted what they said that they wanted more than anything else. Because I see people falter here with this, with this will thing. It's constantly like, how do I get myself to think that way? How do I get myself to stop having the chatter in my head? How do I get myself to pick up the phone? How do I get myself to get better at something? The way that you're asking the question is almost as if, in your mind, you think that there's something where the switch is going to flip, the problem goes away, and you don't have to work at making the change. Because you, you're looking for, looking for it instantaneously. It happens over a period of time. He says, do not try to project your will or your thoughts or your mind out into space to act on things or people. Keep your mind at home. It can accomplish more there than anywhere else. Use your mind to form a mental image of what you want and to hold the vision with faith and purpose. Use your will to keep your mind working the right way, according to law, according to what you want. The power that's back of the will is choice. 
The more steady and continuous your faith and purpose, the more rapidly you will get rich because you will make only positive impressions upon the formless substance. You will not neutralize or offset them by negative impressions. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, like if you had a teeter-totter and it was, it was going back and forth consistently. This side is down because you're, you're, you're thinking heavy thoughts about something. Then this side is down because you're thinking th different thoughts about something else. But it's never staying in one, in one place. The moment you move from a positive expectation or gratitude for what you want into a negative thought, it is like you neutralize it because it's not consistently being projected out and it doesn't give enough time for it to come back to you so that you can recognize it. The formless substance receives a picture of your desires and allows this picture to penetrate into great distances, perhaps through the entire universe. As this impression spreads, all things uh, are set moving toward its realization. Every living thing, every inanimate thing, and everything that is yet uncreated are stirred toward bringing into being that which you want. That's pretty cool. To think that every single thing that's necessary for the accomplishment, for the reception of what you want, really begins to, to turn and move in the direction of bringing it to you. Only to, you keep looking at it going, it's not here yet, and then you cut off the energy. All force begins to be exerted in that direction. All things begin to move to, toward you. The minds of people everywhere are influenced toward doing the things necessary to fulfilling your desires, and they work for you unconsciously. Why? Because you're not, everybody else that is involved in whatever it is that you're doing, whether you know them yet or not, they also need you to do what it is that you're supposed to be doing. I think it kind of looks like this. It's kind of like there's this huge download over humanity with the information to take humanity in a certain direction, either on a, a large level and on an individual level. Multiple people receive the same idea, but not everybody acts on it. But enough people need to act on certain ideas in order for those ideas to begin moving. I'm sure that, that, well, you hear stories all the time about people who had an idea to invent something, and then they didn't do anything with it. And a year or two after they had the idea, they see somebody else invented it. And they're like, damn, I had an idea to do almost the exact same thing. I've heard that so many times from people. So, so you know the idea is out there in the ether. It is out there in, in the universe. And people are either receptive or they're not receptive to it. So then he says this. He puts a big but here. And he says, but you can check all of this, meaning you can stop it. You can check all of this by starting a negative impression in the formless substance. Doubt or unbelief is as certain to start a movement away from you as faith and purpose is, are to start one toward you. By not understanding this, most people fail when they try to make use of the mental science to get rich. Every hour 
and moment that you spend giving heed to doubts, fears, every hour that you spend in worry, every hour in which your soul is possessed by unbelief, sets a current away from you through the whole domain of the intelligent substance. All the promises are unto them that believe and unto them only. Notice how insistent Christ was upon this point of belief. Now you know the reason why. All the promises are unto them that believe and unto them only. I think the only is pretty significant. Pretty significant. Because that only means that everybody that doesn't believe, they're out. The key is the belief. Since belief is all important, it behooves you to guard your thoughts. And as your beliefs will be shaped by a very great extent by the things you observe and think about, it's important that you focus your attention. Here, the will comes into use. Because by the means of your will, you, deter you determine the objects of your attention. If you want to become rich, you must not make a study of poverty. Things are not brought into being by thinking about their opposites. How often does your mind go to thinking about what you don't want? Health is never to be attained by studying disease and thinking about disease. Righteousness is not to be promoted by studying sin and thinking about sin. And no one ever got rich by studying poverty and thinking about poverty. Medicine as a science of disease has increased disease. Religion as a science of sin has promoted sin. And economics as a study of poverty will fill the world with wretchedness and want. Do not talk about poverty. Do not investigate it or concern yourself with it. Never mind what the causes are. You have nothing to do with them. What concerns you is the cure. Do not spend your time in charitable work or charity movements. All charity tends to perpetuate the wretchedness that it claims to eradicate. Now, while there's a lot of truth to that, I don't agree with all of that statement. I don't know what the charity, charitable movements of the day were like in the early 1900s. And I've never really spent time to find out either. But um, I know that there are, there's a lot of good work that's out there that's done today. So take from that what you wish and discard the rest. Do not say that you should be hard-hearted or unkind and refuse to cry to hear of need. But you must not try to eradicate poverty in any of the conventional ways. Put poverty behind you. Put all that pertains to it behind you and make good. You cannot hold the mental image which is necessary to make you rich if you fill your mind with pictures of poverty. Do not read books or papers which give accounts of the wretchedness of the Talmud dwellers or the horror of child labor. Do not read anything which fills your mind with gloomy images of want or suffering. You cannot help the poor at, in the least by knowing about these things. The widespread knowledge of the circumstances of the poor does not tend at all to do away with poverty. What tends to do away with poverty is not getting the pictures of poverty into your mind, but getting the pictures of wealth into the minds of the poor. So what is he saying? Be an example. Be an example. There's a reason that there's more millionaires today than there's ever been before. Because it's becoming more possible in people's minds for it to happen. It used to be a really, really difficult thing for the average person to wrap their mind around. And now it's becoming easier and easier and easier because so many more people are doing it. You're not deserting the poor in their misery. 
when you refuse to allow your mind to be filled with pictures of that misery. Poverty can be done away with, not by increasing the number of the well-to-do people who think about poverty, but increasing the number of poor people who succeed in getting rich through the exercise of faith and purpose. The poor do not need charity, they need inspiration. Charity only sends them a loaf of bread to keep them alive in their wretchedness, or gives them the entertainment, <coughs> excuse me, to make them forget for an hour or two. But inspiration will cause them to rise out of their misery. If you want to help the poor, demonstrate them, demonstrate to them that they can become rich. Prove it by getting rich yourself. Get rich. This is the best way that you can help the poor. Now, I know some of you probably have minds that are going in a hundred different directions right now with all different kinds of reasons why that may not be true. Like I get it. I totally get it. We know so much more about like homeless people today, and you know, but if but the problem's increasing in case you haven't noticed. Uh, so it really begs to differ as to whether what we know about it's actually doing anything. Um, but here's the thing, because I don't care what you study, where you go, who you're around, you're going to see things, you, you, especially with technology, you cannot help not being exposed to different major issues and points of pain that are happening all over our world. What you have to ask yourself is this, is that problem my purpose? Is that problem my purpose? Because I don't care who the hell you are. You're not here to solve every problem on the planet. You're here to solve the problem that, that speaks to your heart and that you have the talents and the gifts and the inclination to work with. But if you start to get involved emotionally in every problem that's going on and feeling all the pain and all that stuff, it, all it does is shut you down. You're not helping anything. So you have to ask yourself, is that something that I feel called to do something about? If it is, then do it. If it's not, then, you know, like bless it, send it good energy, and move on to what your purpose is. The only way in which poverty will ever be banished from this world is by getting large and consistently increasing numbers of people to practice the teachings of this book. People must be taught to become rich by creation and not by competition. Every person who becomes rich by competition kicks down the ladder by which he rises and keeps others down. But every person who gets rich by creation opens the way for thousands to follow him and inspires them to do so. You're not showing hardness of heart or an unfeeling disposition when you refuse to pity poverty and think or talk about it or listen to those who talk about it. Use your will power to keep your mind off the subject of poverty and to keep your mind fixed with faith and purpose on the vision of what you want. So this is, a, this is like he's teaching singleness of mind in what you're doing. And if you look around the world, possibly in your own life, possibly in your life when you were a child, your family, you can see that... Uh, a lot of people just don't know this. So they get, because we get exposed to so many different things, we let those things become a distraction. And it almost seems as if, a matter, matter of fact, a lot of people, and, and the rich were definitely labeled this, it was even worse probably than it is today, a long time ago, that they were cold or hard-hearted because they were so focused. It wasn't that they didn't care about anything. 
it's that they were extremely focused in the in what they knew that they were here to do. And just because a person's wealthy does not mean that they're conscious either. There's plenty of wealthy people that are not conscious. They just happen to have mastered the systems of wealth. You don't have to be spiritual to master the systems of wealth. You just have to understand how it works. The biggest problem is that when you don't understand how it works, if you're really an unconscious competent, the real issue that you run into is that when things change, you don't know what to do. Because you think the source is people. Remember we talked about that? Your source comes from God through people. If you think that it's from people, then when something changes with people, there's a big problem. That's why like, if, if a person's business, let's say it goes out of form, it's, uh, it's no longer relevant because some technology knocked it out of the box overnight. And sometimes people's lives are crushed by that. They think what they had came through that thing or from that thing. I'm sorry. It never did, but they didn't know that. So even though they may be very wealthy, they can still be very ignorant. Okay, chapter 10, further use of the will. He says, you cannot retain a true, clear vision of wealth if you're consistently turning your attention to opposing pictures, either external or imaginary. Do not tell others of any past financial troubles. Do not think of them at all. Do not tell anyone about the poverty of your parents or the hardships of your early life. To do any of these things is to mentally class yourself with the poor for the time being, and this will certainly check the movement of things in your direction. Christ said, let the dead bury the dead. Put poverty and all things that pertain to poverty completely behind you. You have accepted a certain theory of the universe as being correct, and you're resting all your hopes and happiness on its being correct. What can you gain by giving heed to conflicting theories? Do not read religious books that tell you that, tell you that the world is coming to an end. Do not read the writings of the muckrakers or the pessimistic philosophers who tell you that it's going to the devil. The world is not going to the devil. It's going to God. It's a wonderful becoming. True, there may be a many good things in existing conditions which are disagreeable. But what is the use of studying them when they're certainly passing away and when the study of them only tends to check their passing and keep them with us? Why give time and attention to things which are being removed by evolutionary growth when you could hasten their removal only by promoting evolutionary growth as far as your part of it goes? It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. We see people holding on to things of the past and not letting them go. Things, people, ideas, philosophies, ideologies. So it's a real question. It's a real consideration. Like, where's the evidence of humanity moving forward? No matter how horrible the apparent conditions may be in certain countries, sections, or places, you waste your time and destroy your own chances by considering them. You should interest yourself in the world's becoming rich. Think of the riches of the world the world is coming into instead of the poverty that it's growing out of. And bear in mind that the only way in which you can assist the world in growing rich is by growing rich yourself through the creative method and not the competitive one. Over and over in the book, he keeps going back to 
you have to be the example. Change you first. Let other people see that you're this person. All of chapter 14, when we did that day, on depression of increase, when we were talking about sales, it's all about you being in the place where people can see that you're a person of increase. You're mastering it. You're doing it. You're, you have the results. Give your attention wholly to riches. Ignore poverty. Whenever, uh, whenever you think or speak of those who are poor, think or speak of them as, as becoming rich, as those are, who are to be con- congratulated rather than pitied. They, um, then they and others will catch the inspiration and begin to search for a way out. That's important. That's an important statement right there. Because nobody's ever dragged out. People search for a way out. You know, you, nobody, nobody gets out until they're ready. They decide that they want out. So they want to change something. And every person that's ever done it will tell you the same thing. Like I just, I had to, they had to hit bottom. They had to have an experience. Something had to shift. And then they decided that it was time to change. And that, that's with money or, or any other problem that a person has. Because I, say that, because I say that you are to give your whole time and mind and thoughts to riches, it does not follow that you're to be sordid or mean. To become really rich is the noblest aim that you can have in life because it includes everything else. Now, that's good because if we intellectually understand that, the next job is to kind of search our heart and see if there's anything that's internally disagreeable with that statement. Because many people were taught that this is almost saying that money is everything, even though he's not saying that. He's saying the process of adding riches to your life is everything because it includes everything else. So you want to make sure that there's nothing in you that is unconsciously disagreeing with that idea. On the competitive plane, the struggle to get rich is a godless scramble for power over other people. But when we come into the creative mind, all of this is changed. All that is possible in the way of greatness and soul unfold, unfoldment or ser, uh, of service and lofty endeavor comes by way of getting rich. All that is made possible by use of things. If you do not have physical health, you will find that its attainment is conditional on you getting rich. Only those who are emancipated from financial worry and who have the means to live a carefree existence and follow hygienic practices can have and retain health. Now, we know that there are people that do both in either situation. He's talking about abject poverty, where people don't have clean water, they don't have sanitation, that type of thing, right? Moral and spiritual greatness is only possible for those who are above the competitive battle for existence, and only those who are becoming rich on the plane of creative thought are free. Um, They're free from uh, degrading influences of competition. If your heart is set on domestic happiness, remember that love flourishes best where there is refinement, a high level of thought, freedom from corrupting influence. There are to be found only where riches are attained without strife, rivalry by the exercise of creative thought. Some of you may have to ask yourself, do you have this in your house? Do you have this in your family? If there's strife, if there's rivalry, if there's not a harmonious idea of the family going in a specific direction, if there's jealousy, envy, pity, guilt, resentment, vindictiveness, 
and that's in your environment, that's a problem. That's a real issue. It's a real issue. So the idea is for everybody to get moving in the, in the same direction. He's, I, he says, I repeat, you can aim at nothing so great or noble as to become rich. You must fix your attention upon the mental picture of riches. To the exclusion of all that you may tend to dim or obscure your vision. There's the vision again. The picture. Don't dim it. Don't obscure it. Keep it crystal clear. I like this next paragraph here very much. It's uh, it's a pretty deep paragraph. He says, you must learn to see the underlying truth in all things. You might want to write that down. You must learn to see the underlying truth in all things. You must see beneath the seemingly wrong conditions, the great one life ever moving forward toward fuller expression and more complete happiness. Now, the one way to see the truth with what he's suggesting is the understanding that everything's moving towards more life, even when you're observing sickness and death. Everything's moving toward life, even when you're observing sickness and death. So if you take that law, what it does is it allows you to pull back from the emotional disturbance of sickness and death, that or fighting or whatever, that you know, something that's really negative or, or painful to observe. And ask yourself what's really happening here. What's really happening is that something that's not working is trying to transform. The idea of more life is everything that supports life continues to grow toward more life. Once it can no longer support life, it crashes down and it goes back to the basis existence it was from the beginning, from which life sprang. And that is with everything. And it changes. It seriously changes based on the needs of society as we go through time. It's very important. When the COVID thing first happened, I, I, like most people, started to become aware that there was something weird going on because of what I was hearing in the news. This is before anybody had to stay home yet. And the thing that was a huge flag for me was how major businesses were reacting to this virus. And I was like, whenever you see something like that happen, you know there's something we're not being told. There's something that we don't know here. You don't see billion-dollar companies making huge changes when, this, when it's not anything. So I started paying attention to it. And then when it started to become obvious what it was, I was like, pull back what's actually happening here what how is this affecting the world how was it affecting me what are the changes that need to be made what is the truth of what's actually going on and how do we move through that right um and we've watched we have all sat here and watched through our screens the craziness that has happened in certain areas of the world and many people because of misunderstanding, not knowing who to believe, listening to the people that have taken something that's so serious and politicized it for agendas. Like it, it's, it's such a disservice to humanity for any of that stuff to happen 
But you can complain about it all you want. You're never going to change that problem. You, your responsibility is to pull back and say, what's the truth here? What's actually going on? What's the truth? What is the underlying truth of what's taking place here? He says, it is the truth that there is no such thing as poverty. There's only wealth. Some people remain in poverty because they're ignorant to the fact that there's wealth for them. I have said for years, everybody on the planet has the same amount of money, but they live in different conditions because they're ignorant to that truth. It's like there's plenty of air, but if you believed that there wasn't, you started holding your breath, it wouldn't matter that there was plenty of air. You would probably pass out, you know? Like, we have to think. These people can be taught by showing them the way to affluence by your own person and practice. Others are poor because while they feel that there is a way out, they're too intellectually indolent to put forth the mental effort necessary to find a way and travel it. And for these people, the very best thing that you can do is to arouse their desire by showing them that the happiness comes from being rightly rich. Others are poor while they have some notion of science uh, they have become so swamped and lost in a maze of metaphysical and occult theories that they do not know which road to take. They try a mixture of many systems and they fail at all. For these, again, the very best thing to do is to show them uh, the right way in your own person and practice. And announcing doing things is worth a pound of theorizing. The very best thing that you can do for the whole world is to make the most of yourself. You can serve God and your fellow humans in no more effective way than by getting rich. That is, if you get rich by the creative method and not the competitive one. Another thing, I assert that this book gives detail to the principle of the science of getting rich. You do not need to read any other book on the subject. That may sound narrow and egotistical. However, there's no more scientific method of computation and mathematics than by addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. No other method is possible. There can only be the shortest distance between two points. There is only one way to think scientifically, and that is to think in a way that leads by the most direct and simple route to the goal. No person has yet formulated a briefer or less complex system than the one I'm describing here. It has been stripped of all non-essentials. When, when you begin this method, lay aside all others. Put, put them out of your mind uh, altogether. Read this book every day. Keep it with you. Commit it to memory. Do not think about other systems or theories. If you do, you will begin to have doubts and to become uncertain, wavering in your thought, and it will bring about negative thought to the form of substance. He says, also postpone your investigations into the cult. Do not dabble in theosophy, spiritualism, kindred studies. Uh, it, is the it is very likely that the dead... Uh, still live and are near, but if they are, let them alone, mind your own business. <clears throat> the reason that I'm reading that part is because some people have, uh, their mind is stuck with people that have passed. They can't seem to move, they can't seem to move on from it. And it causes people to go down different systems, different theories of thinking about things. And he's, all he's saying is that while you're doing this, just pause everything else for a while until you get there. Like, just stop everything. Stick with one system until you get there. And then if you want to branch your studies out after that, feel free to do so. Because you just don't want to contradict what you're doing. He says there's a thinking stuff from which all things are made, in which it's an original state, permeates, penetrates, and fills the inner spaces of the universe. 
a thought in this substance produces the thing that is imaged by the thought. A person can form things in his thoughts, and by impressing his thoughts upon the formless substance can cause the thing he thinks about to be created. In order to do this, a person must pass from the competitive to the creative mind. He must form a clear mental picture of the things he wants. Excuse me. And he must hold this picture in his thoughts, which with a fixed purpose of getting what he wants, and the unwavering faith that he will get what he wants, closing his mind to all that tend to shake his purpose, dim his vision, or quench his faith. And that is the proper use of the will. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.